And I'm delighted to welcome to Brooklyn's radio, John Altman. It's your first time here, John, I believe. Do I address you as Baz or Barry, Barry? I'm, I'm probably a Bazaar. 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 Bazaar the Bazaar. That sounds good. Uh, so thanks uh, for coming in today. I'll tell you what, let's take you back to your really early days, because you were quite local to here, weren't you? You were born in Berkshire. Yes. And yeah. brought up in Berkshire? Yeah. Uh, yeah, half my childhood, yeah, in a little village called Hurst, and went to school there, and... Uh, yeah, I met Father Christmas for the first time in Wokingham, and uh, yeah, so it was a it was quite an idyllic. I childhood. hope he was well behaved. So, uh, I hope he was well behaved. He was. He gave me a, a little clockwork mouse, <laughs> and uh, we moved from there to North Kent when I was about eight. So okay, it was, it was quite lovely childhood. Really, half in the countryside and half by the sea. Yeah, very nice indeed. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, musically, in your teen teen years, what oh. was big for you musically? Was I lucky to be born in 1952? Weren't you just? Got, you know, I mean, the, the the first NME chart appeared in 52. Okay. Quite a few other things happened that year as well, but well, it's not it's not a history lesson this afternoon. So yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, I, the, the first things I heard on the radio were probably Elvis, Lonnie Donegan, the Everly Brothers. And uh, then, of course, something leapt out of our radio rental set uh, in 1963, I think it was, or 64, I can't think exact year now, uh, was Please Please Me, the Beatles. and uh, Which we're going to play in a minute oh, for you, because oh, we've dug that one out for you, you so that's good. Right. We yeah, have so indeed. That, that was something that I thought, I hadn't heard anything like this before. I was reading how they composed it the other day. Paul McCartney's got a book out. It's not, it's not like an autobiography. It's just notes or rather um, reminiscences of how songs were created. And apparently it was quite slow. So then, please me, won't you? George Martin said, speed it up a bit. Please, please me. So, and and the, the, he was at the third Beatle in a way, in a way musically. You know, they said, what, sure. do you think, what do you think of this, George? You know, the second George, the other George. And, uh, yeah, so they sped it up. That's a little bit of a musical fact about it. And a Stones track. fan as well as the Beatles or not? Yourself? Sorry? Do like, you like the Rolling Stones as well as the Beatles? I, oh, yeah, very much. Yeah, that, what, a, what a contrast. And my best friend, Keith Norman, Danny Kent, we used to go down the record shop on a Saturday morning, as a lot of people did in those days, and he'd buy the latest Stones track, and I, it would be the last time, and I, and I get the latest Beatles one. And we'd have a little bit of a banter about it, say, no, the Beatles are better. No, the Stones are the greatest, you know. So we'd have this slight r- rivalry between us. But it was good because we... Both uh, educated ourselves with different different artists, you know. Very good, yeah, very yeah. good. So, um, music came before acting, or acting came before music? How did you get into acting? Oh gosh, uh, professionally, uh, I, I think. Well, I suppose, I suppose, yeah, I mean, yeah, I probably did acting before. I did. I was an amateur, amateur dramatics, and I did it at school. Then I taught myself to play the drums and the guitar. So the music's always been there, uh, you know, t- ticking over in the background. But acting's been the main thing. But I've also managed to incorporate. The music and a couple of uh, you know a TV series I did, um, Bruce Dickinson from uh, Iron Maiden. I played the bass player in a fictitious band with him, you know, and uh, I was on the road with the theatre group and I, cause I played drums and guitar. We toured all around Europe and I also played um, ultimately George Harrison in a film about the Beatles called Birth of the Beatles. Well, have, have you ever seen? I it? have actually, and we'll you talk did. about that a little bit okay, later. Oh, great, on you've seen it because yeah. it's not shown enough, yeah. and uh, it didn't get the, the massive release that we'd hoped. Okay, and what year was that actually? Before we nineteen seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah, was that your first movie appearance, or did no, you do first stuff movie before was, that? Uh, huh? yeah, the first great train robbery, actually. Oh, okay. With Donald Sutherland, and it was wonderful meeting him because uh, I'd watched him obviously in Don't Look Now and various other uh, films, and I, I really liked him a lot, you know. And uh, as an actor, he's one of my favourite actors. And he 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 came into the uh, makeup truck, and he got myself and the other actor to 
go with him onto the set. There's a massive great set they built at Pinewood, which was like the Strand in the Victorian era. And, uh, and, and he went through what we had to do with us personally, just so that when we came to shoot it in front of the camera, there was no dialogue. It was just uh, uh, picking someone's pocket and dropping it in the hat and then suddenly put the hat on and he walked off. And, and so I was really impressed by that because I thought, uh, that, and it made me realise that, you know, Hollywood superstars were human, which was great. Which is good. Yeah. I meant to ask you before we got to that point, how did you get that first break, though, into acting? I couldn't afford drama school, so uh, I went into the business. I recommend that to anybody. It's still it's probably even harder now. And I worked backstage, assistant stage manager, uh, loading the trucks, sweeping the stage, putting up the sets, putting the props. And I went to a touring theatre, so I met all these, all these different shows came in. Over, uh, in. In a year, you'd have, you know, ballets, comedies, musicals, operas, you name it. And Elton John came in at one time, David Essex. And uh, so, yeah, that was uh, how I got in. And I met someone who was from the Leicester Haymarket Theatre. needed to get my equity card, so I went down there. Right. And then I met another, I th- this rock theatre group. I just jammed with them on the drums and had a couple of drinks with them. And they invited me to audition, and I ended up going to Paris from Leicester to Paris, and then touring Europe with this theatre group, which was great. Came back to London, got an agent, you know, stomped the streets of Soho. That's how I got the Beatles part, actually, because I just took take my photo around to various casting directors. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, I went into the biz. Like, anything that I needed to brush up on, which I didn't have at drama school, I, there was a place called the Actors' Centre where I, I did Shakespeare work, Shakespearean workshops, um, uh, stage fighting, you know, sword fencing, etc. So, yeah, oh, I brushed up on all that. And dialects, that was an interesting one. Yeah. How many different dialects there are in this country? I mean, generally, if it's anywhere sort of west of Bristol, people talk like that, don't they, in the, in the film? You know, I'm from Cornwall, I'm from Devon and Somerset. <laughs> there's actually quite a difference between all three of those there are know? indeed yeah, yeah, there is, yeah, there is. Yeah. so you're saying you played um, George Harrison mm. I mean uh, uh, that must have been amazing oh. and how much research did you have to do into George in order to get that spot on as much as I could yeah I mean I, I was just so and in the playground George was my you had to have a favourite Beatle and George was my favourite and he was a Pisces as well which I am so I, mean, I don't take that t- totally seriously but it's just a bit of fun really isn't it but Nice to know he was Pisces too. I'm quite spiritual, so was George. I had a lot in common with George. I never met him, but yeah, um, I, in answer to your question, I had some old Beatles fan club records. Right. Which you know, they'd send out a message to all our, to all our b- fabulous fans out there. Happy Christmas for me, George Harrison. You know, so he had a kind of quite a laid back voice. Lennon was a bit more like that, you know. And um, so, yeah, I, and I listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And um, then I looked at um, some old videos because there were no DVDs in those days, no internet back yep. back back in the sure. in, in, in the late seventies. So yeah, I, what, and looked at how he stood on stage, etc. Uh, we had uh, Pete Best, who was the original Beatles drummer. Yep. He, he came in, for, you know, to give us any sort of research that we needed to do, a technical advisor, etc. And um, and and that that's you know that's all I had really to to work on those things. And um, there were two or three auditions, I think. One was initially a Polaroid. Then they gave us a script, and we had to kind of go back and do it. And we were filmed, and it went back to it. It was an American production called Dick Clark. Anyone listening to this who's been in the music business for a while would know who he was. He had a show called American Bandstand, which the Beatles appeared on, I think. He was, he was like the sort of thank you lucky stars of the American TV network. Okay. And so he produced that. He also did another movie called um, Elvis, the movie. I think Kurt Russell played Elvis. So, But um, looking back at it now... Uh, it's kind of it's aged quite nicely in a way because you know, it's old like a fine wine looks like it was huh? like a fine wine indeed yeah and when we shot in liverpool uh, there were still bomb sites up there and, and the right. docks were pretty much 
unused and a bit sort of run down and so it had that had the atmosphere that was that had been the same in the in the in the 60s did you ever get any feedback from the beatles about what they thought of the movie I think I heard Ringo saw it. I think he was quite amused by it. But no, not really. Oh, no, that's a shame. No, that's yeah, a I shame. know. I know, yeah. I, I would be interested to know say, what Paul thought of it. Yeah. But, uh, so you've chosen a Beatles track. Let's uh, play that one for you now. This is Please Please Me. Great. Great track from the Beatles. It's called uh, Please Please Me. It's coming up to 20 minutes to three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon here on Brooklyn's radio. Uh, thanks for your company today. We're joined in the studio today by John Gray talking to you. Mm. Uh, we were just talking earlier that uh, you'd been in the first great train robbery movie and uh, Birth of the Beatles, but you also did an appearance in Quadrophenia, I believe. Yeah, that was in between those other two. Yeah. And uh, God, well, once again, I was <laughs> I absolutely um, loved the album, the Who album, and I played it and played it. In fact, it almost looked like a movie because when you open up the cover, all these still photographs that they did for the original album. Wasn't yeah. that good back in the day when you had your album cover oh. with the sleeve opened up? You Take could, you could pour hours, hours over that and read through. Read the lyrics. Yep. That's why I insisted when I had a when I released my album that I would, there would be some a lyrics booklet, you know, because yeah, I just that was one of the joys of my life, as I was saying earlier, you know, going down the old record shop and maybe listening to some tracks and in one of those booths and yeah, on a, on a Saturday it was great. And then I'm, I'm going to jump ahead, but if there's anything in between that I should pick up I'm on a chronological order, do tell me. But it was 1985, you, you started on EastEnders? Or? Indeed, yeah it, it, yeah, it was first released February 1985. Yeah, and yeah. it was so funny. I mean, we, we mentioned on Saturday's programme at the weekend that you were going to come in. And the reaction still, you know, he's such a villainous character, isn't he? Mm. We still got that same reaction now from older <laughs> members just going, wow, ooh, quite scared. Actually, yeah. quite scared. Yeah, I still get stopped on the street. People still shout stuff out. Yeah. But what it's was amazing. it like? And during that time, then, when you were playing the part, I mean, it must have been quite difficult, I guess, potentially going out. You probably had to be careful, look after yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, definitely wouldn't be in a pub at closing time. Something might be quite nice initially in the evening and had a few drinks, might have a go at Nick Cotton, you know, whatever, yeah. and uh, not realise I'm just an actor. But, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I, I did worry about it. But amazingly enough, I have to say that I found more people from, say, you know, the Afro-Caribbean or, uh, you know, Asian uh, minorities in, in the country came up to me and, and, and more than the sort of, you know, white English people, if you like. Is that right? And I, I tried to work that one out. I thought maybe because, you know, Nick was sort of on the, on the outside. I mean, he wasn't particularly pleasant, but... Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of people from those communities feel a bit sort of like they're out on, they're on, out on the edge. I was trying to look at it psychologically, you know. But, uh, yeah, I was quite, I was quite relieved when... Uh, when that happened, because because he was a pretty pretty awful character, I think there was also a, a, quite a comical side to him as well. Very dark sense of humour, yeah. You know? Like they Dot would say something like, "Oh, isn't it great, Nick? It's Valentine's Day. They got flowers, you know, on 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 on, on the bar." So yeah, the best thing about Valentine's Day was the massacre. You know? <laughs> you know, just stuff very like dark, that. On, very on and dark. on, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And your relationship yeah. with uh, Doc Cotton was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, June, wonderful. Yeah, we, we, we hit it off from, from day one, really. That's lovely. Um, from, from the moment we met. Now, we hadn't met before she was cast, but she certainly looked right. And uh, my actual, my real mother said that she looked more like my mum than she did. <laughs> yeah. And you had reoccurring uh, appearances throughout EastEnders, mm. didn't you? You came, you went, you yeah. came, you went. What for you were the highlights? What's the bits that stick out in your mind that really... 
Well, generally, just working with June, you know, yeah. we had one, one episode where it was almost just the two of us and Ethel, I think, and, and Charlie Cotton. Uh, but um, from my own part, I think doing a special was a real treat. It was called The Return of Nick Cotton, and that was quite a hard shoot because I was in every single scene every single day, and it was, uh, yeah, it was quite a few years back, but he, him coming out of prison trying to track his son, Ashley, down. Was about, I think it was about the year 2000, that was, yeah. And audience ratings for the programme during that period were way up, weren't they? Weren't they? I mean, people call it, call it the golden days, you know, and I think, I think it was, really. But also, in all fairness to, because I've written and, uh, and I, know, I know about the business, obviously, it's pretty tough, Baza, you know, having to keep something like that going, keeping it fresh and keeping the public, you know, keen on it and, and, and enthusiastic about it. Because uh, you, you, you're going to end up repeating storylines in the end with different characters, aren't you? You know, adultery, murder, whatever, you know. And that's the problem yeah. now. I think they've run out of stuff to actually write I know, about. I they? know, I know. So, uh, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't like to be uh, in charge of the script, so it must be quite hard. But they're, they're doing their best, I guess. Yeah, but it has gone, ratings have gone down, I think. And you'd never go back into anything like that? Oh, gosh, it was a big, long contract, and I could play off my mortgage, yes. <laughs> It's always a good reason, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, what eventually led to your character being killed off? Um, his, uh, his love of heroin, yeah. Okay. So there's a lesson learned, yeah, and he died in a, in a, in a squat, yeah, of some dodgy heroin, yeah. And, and you personally, I think, wasn't there something with you and the scriptwriters that you, I think they were going to make your character a gay character, which, again, just didn't fit the bill, did it, yeah, for that, just, that part? Yeah, this has often been asked about. Yeah, it was um, Nick and Lofty were going to be... Uh, made into gay characters but we've been shooting it for a few months and uh, Julia Smith and Tony Holland thought it might be an idea to make Nick gay and, and lofty now if in the first place they'd been gay fair enough but they weren't and I think it seemed so, almost sort of gratuitous or something I don't know what the right word is or to, to make some <laughs> sensationalism to suddenly make them gay in fact they didn't you know Ch- um, lofty didn't like Nick much at all anyway but Nick was always like bullying him telling him what to do and, and sort of, you know, I think Lofty pretended to be his friend. So it didn't really, it wouldn't have worked anyway, I don't think. Then the viewers would have believed it. So after that, Michael Cashman came in and, uh, and, and they had Barry and, uh, I'm trying to remember both of their names now, but, but they did actually introduce two, you know, actual gay characters, which was, yeah. which was fine. Which is what they should and do. But, but to your point, yeah, I, you know, was, I can't was, believe anyone that was watching that and knew the character that you no. played could have really fathomed that they could have switched. Not really, no. I wouldn't have thought. I feel like doing that to Ken Barlow in Coronation Street or something. <laughs> oh, didn't they? <laughs> That's probably more likely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> who knows, who knows? Uh, 2.45 on a Wednesday afternoon. Any questions uh, that you'd like to put, John, do let us know. That email address is studio at brooklandsradio.co.uk. Let's get back to your music career now. We're going to jump around a bit, so apologies yeah, yeah, sure. for that. Uh, so you're currently making music, and you've got a new track out at the moment, I believe. There's a bit of a story behind it. Yeah, it's called Outrageous, and... Uh, it's not sort of things that I do really with regarding the lyrics. In fact, there's, there's, there is an outrageous version of it, but I, I recorded a like, if you like a clean version for you know g- general airplay on on a radio, and uh, I, I I've got a, a student um, <coughs> accommodation block just near where I live, and I often see them wandering about. And used to go in the local pub that's closed, but and uh, I just think and I put well, as an actor I put myself in um, in the frame of mind of a student, you know, a bit like sort of Harry, teenage Harry Enfield, like. Oh, I'm so bored. What are we going to do over the weekend? You know, oh no, oh no, let's do something outrageous. Yeah, good idea. You know, <laughs> so that's that's how it came about. I put my myself in the in the, in the frame of mind of a student, and it's dedicated to all uh, crazy students everywhere in the world. Outrageous is is the title, and there's a video too. Let's 
do something outrageous Let's do it now The right police will never cage us Let's do it now Let's do it now The right police will never cage us Let's do it now Let's do it now uh-huh. Oh, yeah. uh, so two things there. You're Johnny Altman. You yes. put an NY on the end. Tell yeah. us why is that? Because, and he's a friend of mine as well, actually, funnily enough. He, he tracked me down once. Uh, uh, there's another John Altman. Oh, is there? Who's known for working on the soundtrack of the Titanic. He worked with the, the Python team. He part wrote uh, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, I think. So, yeah. I don't want to get the checks mixed up if there are any <laughs> these days. So that's yeah. a local band that you're playing with or local musicians and artists? That these guys. Which, yeah. Uh, mainly um, uh, Mark Christopher Lee, who produced it. And I met him in a TV studio and, he, and we talked to start talking music. So we'll bring some stuff up in this place near, this is place near St. Albans. And uh, so I took him up a couple of tracks. He said, I really, really like this. I think yeah, this was one of the first ones we did. And then he said, you've got any more? So I played him some more tracks. And he said, well, why don't we do an album? So... Ended up doing an album with him. It just, it just came out of the blue. You know? And that's got a sort yeah. of punky, clashy type feel to yeah. it. Were, they, were you into the punk era? And Yeah, I did get into that, actually. Yeah, yeah. A bit like Forrest Gump music. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit of a... I was, I was a, I was a mod. I was a hippie. <laughs> I was a bit of a punk and a bit glam at one time as well. Put the old, the old eyeshadow on, you know. So, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the other tracks on the album... Everybody listening, uh, it's, it's quite an eclectic mix, as, as, you, as you've heard the whole, whole album. Sure. I mean, there's a kind of bluesy track, there's some, rock, there's some hard rock. There's what I consider a real punk track, which is called Twisted Mind. It's for people like the guy who uh, took over in Myanmar, a, a miserable military leader who's caused the deaths of thousands. Uh, it's for people like him in the world. You know, Mugabe used to be like, that's what I, what I wrote it about, all those um, dictators that appear and, and make the, the people suffer, you know. So that, that's the one I really think is a very punky track, Twisted Mind. Okay. Yeah. There's, well, a, there's well, a ballad, you know, like Hallucinating You. To, proper so variety. So it's quite, yeah, because I like albums that, like, like the Beatles' White album. Yeah. I mean, they did everything on there, didn't they? They did. They did so, Great like, pruning, album. jazz, rock and roll, you know, country, the whole, the whole cross-section of music in a way. So, yeah. So that, let's take you back to your um, acting now, and we were talking about EastEnders, and you left EastEnders in what year? Uh, I was... 15, 2015. 2015. Yeah. Mm. And having played that part, how difficult was it then to move on and get other parts? Apart from Panto, not easy. No, because you, you got yeah. you obviously get stereo cast into roles. Yeah, and yeah, did you get other roles as villains coming up that you could have taken, but you steer clear of it because? Uh, you- no, well, yeah, there was yeah there was a film I did yeah called Lucas and Albert, which is out on Amazon Prime, which got best feature film in the British Film Awards actually. So yeah, I did play a bit of a villain in that. But I, I got I got shot in that. I, I keep getting killed in all the films. I did, <laughs> did a film last week. I got murdered with a hammer. Yeah, so I keep dying on the screen. That's a, I must I must stop this. It's a, not a healthy habit. So um, yeah, and yeah, the, actually the character I played in the film last week that was a relief. Was it was an estate agent. Okay, I mean, but they, they can be quite villainous. <laughs> they can be indeed. So what's the Damien. film? What's the film you've just done then? The, the, the one I've just done is called uh, <clears throat> Hammer Home. And it's about a group of buyers and estate agents that descend on this house, and a few of them get bumped off one by one. So it's a bit of a, it's a comedy thriller in a way. Yeah, and it, and it was it was great fun to do. We shot it over two days of my stuff, so it was, it was a bit of a scramble, but uh, it managed to do. And it. when that's when's that going to come out then? Uh, next year, I hope. Yeah, okay, yeah. good luck with Not that. Got to edit it all yet. But sure. I mean, in answer to your question, yes, it can be tough. And I must say, I have to say, 
that, I mean, maybe some actors, what you see is what you get. Even some Hollywood stars, probably if you met John Wayne uh, in a bar, he'd be just the same John Wayne, you know. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, 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 the reason I became an actor is to play different parts. Well, as I was saying earlier, I played George Harrison. I've done, I've done lots of, I played did Chicago the Musical, playing Billy Flynn. You Paul, did, didn't you? Uh, that was around 2002, something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 This, this station reached. What was that like? Thing. Good fun? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, gosh, yeah, I loved it. It was my favourite job in theatre. 525 of those. So... And what I'm saying is I'm very capable of doing many different parts. And it's very frustrating when some casting directors say, oh, well, we can't use him because he plays Nick. As, as you know, I just uh, earlier on, I, I don't come from the East End. I've, I never lived there in my life, you know. So uh, it's just uh, very frustrating because, say, say, and I'll finish here, say you're, a, say you're a guitarist. It's like someone saying to you, no, you're known for that folk, that folk song you released, so you can't play any rock and roll. No, sorry, you can't play any blues. No, sorry, you can't play any reggae. Because <laughs> you're a folk singer, aren't you? No, I'm not just a folk singer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. a, it's a bit. That's the attitude that I feel coming back at me sometimes, and it's um, highly irritating, actually. You mentioned you got into pantos. I mean, was that fun doing pantomime? Oh yeah, yeah. The hard work. On which ones did you do? I've done just about all of them. Except, oh, really? except Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done um, Captain Hook, Peter Pan, quite a lot, and Aladdin, you know, Abanaza. So, kind of about over the years. Bit of a veteran in a way. I'm not doing one this year. There's one going locally. Let me know. <laughs> um, so far, anyway. Uh, yeah, so I, I've probably done about 33, 34 pantomimes. Yeah. So going back to your music career, I think it was, was it around um, probably about 10 years ago that you got into frontman of a band. You were frontman with a band for a Yeah, Resurrection was the first proper band I formed in London. Okay. And that, that was in the kind of punk area, in, the, in, in uh, West London. And we played all over the place, you know, and there was a whole scene going. Then there was Lemmy, you know, down on the, you know, on the Portobello Road, and I, I knew Tony Jameson, Generation X, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there was a whole music scene in sort of Maida Vale, Labrick Grove, Portobello Road, you know, the, well, the Clash came from that, from that area too. And uh, so, yeah, that's how it all began then. But I mean, I, as I said, I played drums and guitar before that. Yeah. But uh, in fact, some of the, a couple of the tracks on the album I wrote with the lead guitarist in the band called Brady. And uh, you won't be listening, but get well soon, Brady. Poor chap's got the, the COVID. Yeah. A lot of that around. Get, get well soon, indeed. Yeah. Um, and are you gigging with the new album? Is it planned to tour? Yeah, well, yeah. I think what we're going to do some warm-up gigs around Surrey, actually. Yeah. So uh, keep ch- check out Surrey Rocks. And there's a guy called Charlie Chandler I'm having to put a band together with. He's got a great guitar shop over, over there in Hampton Wick, just over the border from the Brooklyn's radio uh, reach but yeah so um yeah that's who i'll be working with all being well um were you part of the band was it called heavy metal kids i was indeed oh yeah, i forgot about that yeah 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 i was with them for about a year and a half yeah we, we released a video and a single and uh yeah it's quite good gosh they were loud the only time i've ever had to uh, put earplugs in in rehearsals <laughs> <laughs> and i do i love it loud you know in my car but, but uh, they were loud yeah so, so yeah that, that was good fun too yeah so yeah another rock and roll milestone i suppose uh, so let's play one more piece of music up into the news at three o'clock. You've chosen a Sam Fender track, which is interesting. So a bit of a Sam Fender fan? I was watching the Isle of Wight Festival. Ah. You know, like the Beatles um, single came at me out of the radio. I was just sort of watching. And I had, didn't really know about him at all. I started watching him. I thought, I must go to bed soon or do something else. And I watched a bit more. 
I watched a bit more, and I watched his whole set. I thought, this guy's brilliant. He's yeah. very good, isn't he? Th- very good I'm live. And I'm always on the lookout. Like I discovered Joe Bonamassa two or three years back. I don't know if you know him at all, but he's brilliant. If nobody's ever listened to Joe Bonamassa, fantastic. You get the live albums at Hammersmith. And, um, yeah, and the Albert Hall. Um, yeah, so, listen, very, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely got through to me, or my, my, my kind of music, and uh, ended up buying um, Ibersonic Missiles, the CD off, uh, uh, yeah. Let's, Amazon. Let's play a bit of the track now. Taking us up to the news. Sam Fender. In the parking lot, the golden arches illuminate the business park. I eat myself the death, feed the corporate machine. I watch some movies, recite every line and scene. God bless America. Uh, I think your autobiography came out. When was that? Oh, a few years back now, and it's called In the Nick of Time. It, yep. You can get it in hardback and also on Audible as well. So uh, the Audible one's got more chapters in it than than the original because uh, well time had moved on when we recorded the audible that was a strange experience actually i recorded it all myself uh and and uh, out in um uh, essex and uh yeah it was uh quite exhausting recording your own book actually i bet it would be we did about six days i think it was and of course you know you start telling the morning work your way through the day and you start to get quite tired by the end of it. And the producer said, no, John, can you lift it up a bit, lift it up a bit? <laughs> by the end of the day, I was like, oh. <laughs> well, It was also quite emotional, you know. It's just stuff that you, you keep buried within, you know, like the death of my father and my mother in there. And, you know, just, uh, yeah, and, and also quite amusing as well. You know, items like splitting my leather trousers on the dance floor at, at the Locarno in, in uh, Lewisham with... With Ali from EastEnders, uh, we were on my birthday way back, you know, and that made me laugh. That the p- picturing me splitting my leather trousers on the dance floor. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was um, good experience, and uh, it's, it's out there. And uh, yeah, of course, I did the the, the, the Marigold Hotel, the real, Mar- real Marigold Hotel. And how did that come about? That was in the book. Um, they just, I think, they asked for me, and they asked for me because uh, I hadn't done so many of the uh, reality programs, such as The Jungle and uh, and, uh, and and all the rest of them. So, and would you ever do The Jungle? Um, I think I would if they offered me enough money that would enable me to pay off my mortgage. Again. <laughs> Can't blame you. Yes. But that series, I think it was it series four of Yeah, something Marigold. like that, yeah. I remember that one well. In fact, my wife and I were chatting over breakfast this morning and Fee was saying to me, oh, that was the best series because the mm. cast mm. just got on so well. The camaraderie mm. between all of you. Yeah. Remind us who was on it with you. Oh, we had, oh gosh, well, uh, yeah, Barbara Dixon, Britt Eklund, uh, oh, yeah, gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Brilliant characters. Uh, it, 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 yeah, Brilliant. yeah, yeah, and we're we're all from different, um, yeah, different walks of life. So yeah, it was quite a good. good and, mix. D- totally different outlooks on life as well, because you had um, Henry on there as well. Henry Blofeld, he was quite. Yeah, Henry. Oh, yeah, Henry. Yes, what yes. a character. Yes, yeah, what yeah, a character. Yeah, he, he was great. A wonderful voice he's got. Yeah. And how yeah. did how did you get on with Brett? Oh, well, actually, yeah, she liked the pictures I was taking. She'd take more pictures of me, John. Take me more pictures. <laughs> and then uh, Henry told me that I didn't know actually that, that you know where Blofeld came from. Did you know? No. You know, the Bond villain. No. Unusual name. Fleming asked his father if he could use his surname as, as, the, as the main villain when he, when he was starting to write the Bond books. And that's where it all came from. So, wow. So in a sense, he's sort of related to the world of Bond. Uh, you know, yeah. And how long were you out in India for filming? Uh, about three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks. Yeah, yeah. And experience was good? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And I hadn't been there for 50 years, which was bizarre. So I left home at 17. Had my 18th birthday out there. I hitched out there and uh, and, and rode the trucks and the and the trains. In fact, I went out there with a couple of friends. We all split up. And I went round India on my own. Wow! Uh, and that was, that was a you know good way to grow never up. been, but a place I'd love to go oh, to. It's amazing. Yeah. I caught, you know, even back when we went back in 
in, in two, uh, yeah, then uh, um, it was like uh, Planet India, I described it as, you know. It's, it's so extraordinary, so loud, so colourful, so smelly, so beautiful, so wonderful. Yeah, so friendly. It's just, it's, it's just full on. And on the street, it hadn't, hadn't really changed that much. So ladies were riding motorbikes. And actually, I've got a picture of a whole family on one motorbike. Can you imagine that? On Waybridge High Street, <laughs> mother, the baby on a petrol tank, father, mother, and two other children. Only in India. Are we going out for the day then? Do <laughs> you mind just pulling over? But it's all, it's all part of the Indian life. Yeah. So another is. guy, there, he was great. Massive, great honeycomb on the back of his butt. I didn't photograph that, but yeah, yeah, we had, we, we we had a good, you know, Duncan Bannatyne too from the from the yes. Yeah, I got on quite well with him. We. We did some yoga together. And in fact, the bonding was really strong between all of you. That's yeah, what came across yeah. in the program, anyway. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Susie Blake and uh, yeah, and uh, Paul, Paul Chuckle, who I'd done pantomime with as well. Yeah, yeah. And do you keep in contact with that cast? Is the spirit and camaraderie still there? Is it? Yeah, yeah. We've yeah? got, got a little, uh, yeah, um, your own little Matt club. Gold app. Yeah, <laughs> occasionally we'll, we'll, we'll fire some. Actually, I must, send, I must resurrect that. Actually, I presume it'll still be there. I'm sure I missed somebody out, but uh, maybe... Uh, you've, uh, Sandra Sandra Rhodes. Sandra, yes. Bless her heart. She was lovely. I expected her to be so wild and wacky. She's quite quiet, actually, quite really cool. You look around, and, there, she's, and she did all these beautiful drawings when, when we were there. She's a really good artist. And, uh, and then she, the house we were staying in, she had them uh, printed up and gave, gave them the manageress some copies and everything. I really, yeah, I got on well with Sandra. She was great, yeah. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Mm. What, what's uh, next for you? What's coming up? Well, um, working on the music, I guess, yeah, and, and you know the release of the, re- the releasing the album and, and the single, publicising that, making sure hopefully people might buy. And it I can vouch that's not easy because I've got a son in the industry as I oh, mentioned to you, and it, it it's so time consuming to yeah. try to get anything yeah. done, you know, whether it be social media. Mm. I remember my wife and I were saying, "Oh, we've got a quiet day today." There's only like ten mails came through, but it was from radio stations all around Europe and the globe, and they wanted this, they wanted that, and I looked around and I'd spent four or five hours. Just pulling everything together. Yeah. Takes that long. Time-consuming indeed, yeah. And with thoroughbred music, so the, uh, the, the people who released the album. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to be start working away on that. And, and, yeah, as you say, things like building up my, my YouTube website and, and all the rest of it, you know, putting stuff on their films and videos and gone as well in the past. So, yes, there's, there's plenty to do. So you mentioned uh, earlier in the programme that uh, there was a track on the album called Hallucinating You. Mm. How did that one come about? Ah, that was... Uh, it's, you know when you walk down the street and uh, you say you have a son and you look across and you think, oh, that's, that's my son. You cross over... Sorry, and when he turns around, it's just something completely different. You know, <laughs> uh, it's ever happened to you? It has. Yeah, it has happened to all of us, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. or, or that was just like my dad. Or, yeah. or somebody, yeah. might, somebody might have passed away and they, you see somebody who was just like the, the, this friend or relative who passed away. So that's where the, the idea came from, hallucinating you. So, like, imagining... Uh, I wrote it for this girl that I went out with, actually. And when we weren't together, I kept imagining that I'd, that I'd see her and then the girl would turn around, of course, and, and it wasn't her at Aww. all. Yeah, so... There you have it. Let's so play the track romantic track as opposed uh, to the Johnny the Altman one. and Hallucinating You. In the night you're there Passing through my dreams In the morning your face Is in the sunrise beams In my mind you're the first Hallucinating you Hallucinating, hallucinating Hallucinating you 
So we've had the pleasure of having uh, John Altman with us today. That's uh, his track called Hallucinating You from the new album. Uh, tell us about the video on that one. Yeah, I was, um, managed to just squeeze it in between lockdowns. And I was going to shoot it in Surrey initially. And then somebody came up with the idea of a, a deserted Victorian swimming bath in Birmingham, which was, which was empty. So we shot it in there. And we had a drone and all the, all the rest of it. And just managed to get it in before the next lockdown came in. So, it's tough. We had the same problem with Luke, actually, my son. You know, yeah. We had a, a whole planned video. In fact, we had it twice, and it mm. had to be cancelled. Yeah. In the end, we had it shot at home, Yeah. And, but they were so good COVID-wise. I mean, they set up different stations all around the gardens and God oh. knows what else, just so that they could get the thing done. But it's yeah. uh, been a tough time for musicians generally through mm. COVID. Yeah, any, 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 anybody, a lot of people, yeah. Amazing how things have, have been got done. They've been doing special... They've been having, like, uh, perspex screens when they're shooting... TV drama as well. Yes. So, yeah, I thought I would recommend people still wear their masks out there. It's still out there, isn't it? Well, you, know? you were very good today. I mean, as we picked you up, it's, uh, yes, I, I, yes. you see less and less of it now, to your mm. point, and it, we're not through it yet. No. no very it's wise. Been, been on the up a bit. And, uh, and you talk about your own health, because, you know, you were saying that, um, you know, you kept yourself well and healthy. So mm. how do you do that? Not, I'm kept myself well and healthy always. Oh, okay. But I'm, I, I'm not an <laughs> alcoholic, alcoholic drink for 24 years now. Right. Which I don't know how the time has gone, actually. But um, I, was, I did hit that a bit hard at one point, you know. And smoke cigarettes as well. I smoked for Britain. I really enjoyed a cigarette. I still could today, but I wouldn't like to go through the agony of giving up again. No. I just loved a cigarette. And if anybody who smoked, they would know. You've never smoked. You never know the pleasure of it. I, went, I remember reading the Alan Carr book and it said, the ben- uh, chapter seven or something, the benefits of smoking. And I thought, oh, I'm looking forward to that chapter because there must be some. And then I looked and there was, there was like, three blank pages. <laughs> Nothing at all was a benefit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just thought maybe like in the First World War, people in the trenches and have a cigarette as a bit of relief from the, te- the terror and the tension and the mud and the For cold. For sure. So, that, so in the, yeah, there, can, there can be some sort of, no, I'm not recommending smoking, but. Uh, I did enjoy it, but so, so yeah, I kind of. In fact, I used to, I used to run and swim and cycle when I smoked and drank. But I gave, I gave up the the, the drinks and then I gave up the cigarettes through my local doctor. Actually, they never pay to uh, give up cigarettes because they have people sort of advertise, oh, hundred pounds will will we'll we'll help you mm. quit. That the local doctor would do it for nothing. And an issue with uh, you know what, what they do these days, it was patches with me, yeah, and a very strict Russian nurse. Who, who caught me? That helps. <laughs> With a whip. Yeah, she was well, almost, yeah. Because I thought I could have a crafty couple of cigarettes. No. She, she, it was like a breathalyzer, and a carbon monoxide would show up, and a red light would go off. If I'd had one cigarette in there the last are. 24 hours, if you were going to smoke, Mr. Altman, there would be no more patches. Pause, finish. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, no, no, I don't want it to finish. <laughs> so I got through in, in, in the end. And I, I mean, these days, uh, I'd probably take about 10 or 12 vitamins in the morning, which could be, you know, cod liver oil vitamin C, various others. And uh, with, with, with my fresh lemon juice, which I was recommended to take by going to check out of the MS when the COVID came in. And uh, so, yeah, I do that. I, I, try, I try and eat healthily. You know, occasionally I have a pizza or a burger, but not that often. I don't eat a lot of sweets. The occasional Lindor, that's my guilty pleasure, Lindor mint truffle. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. I have I've had Lindor before, but not the mint truffle. You want to eat, eat the whole box if you have one, you know. <laughs> I kind of ration myself, you know. So yeah, um, yeah, eat healthily, and uh, and yeah, and and, and you're saying about sleep. You're saying yeah, how important sleep. sleep is. Very, I've been reading about it over the last two years, and how important it is, and how people think they can get by without having much, and we all think we're superhuman sometimes, don't we? You know, young people working in the cities, city burn, and then burning themselves out. You, you, if you just get like four or five hours of sleep a night, plus maybe you're doing other other things on top, 
going out, drinking it up, you know, which kills off the goodness inside you. And what you don't realise is what's going on inside. And, and, and sleep is a healer, you know, and that's why, that's why we have it. So that, uh, you know, uh, I think you know, maybe, you know, even cancers could be caused by lack of sleep and someone burning themselves up, burning themselves up. So I would recommend eight hours of sleep a night if you can, and maybe ten, uh, Roger Federer, hasn't done too badly in the tennis world. He, he, he likes to get ten in. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, j- I'm just aware of it. Sometimes I'll get, I'll, I'll t- listen to my body and I'll say, no, stay in bed another hour or two if I can. And why not? And, 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 no. and, and I'd rather just get up. And uh, so, yeah, that's all I'm going to say is really get enough sleep. Do you cat nap in the afternoons? Yes, ever? I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I might have nodded off about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Sorry, I'm boring you, John. <laughs> I, was in, I was in my place reading a paper or something. <laughs> yes, I must uh, yeah. But no, um, yeah, yeah, I can do that too. I can drop off anywhere almost, even standing up probably. <laughs> well, great yeah. to have you along today. Thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure. Remind us of the name of the album again. It's called uh, It's Never Too Late to Rock and Roll. And that's out now? It is indeed, yeah. Okay, and you can get it on all good music platforms. Everywhere, yeah. Fantastic. platforms everywhere. Uh, Good luck with the tour when that gets going for you. Thank you. And uh, a pleasure to have your company today. Do you have a website or anything where people can contact you? Um, no, we're building one. Okay. Yeah, at the moment, it's going to be a, a So YouTube you'll have to let website. us know when that is, and we can put that okay, one out yeah, there as well. thank you. Yeah, there was one, but... Uh, I will just say thank you to Debbie as well, who introduced us. Debbie oh, Arnold. Oh, yeah, if you're listening, Debbie, lots of love. Bless her. I'll see you tomorrow night. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Alicia. Is that for the a big event? The big the event, yes. Surrey Singles, single tours. I think it is, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. is it taking place tomorrow? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, You've got to give a free plug, because we wanted Debbie to tell us on Saturday, and we couldn't get hold of her, so ah. you'll have to let us know anyway. Okay, I will. I will. I've, got, I've got it in my diary. Yeah. All right, have yeah. fun there tomorrow and say mm. hi to Debbie for us. And thanks for coming in to Brooklyn's Radio today. We're going to play out with one of your favourite tracks that you chose, mm. uh, which is a Jimi Hendrix track. Who I met when I was about wow. 16. Yeah, Not many did. people can say that. No, he was on tour with the Pink Floyd and the Nice, and he played you know, He played in Chatham. And there was no, no security there of any sort, hardly. So I got into his dressing room, had a chat, got his autograph, did a, little, a short interview with him, Baz. Yeah, and the last thing he said before we left the dressing room was he's a really gentle guy actually, despite his wild image take it easy there be good as bunnies <laughs> brilliant uh, thanks for coming in today John we're going to play out with All Along the Watchtower It's lovely.